Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Thank <laughs> you. 
Welcome back. It is Outkick 360 in our beautiful 6th and Peabody studios. And we are here with Old Smoky Moonshine and Yeehaw Beer. And as you see, we have our first guest uh, in studio. Studio like this downtown Nashville will attract a lot of people. And we'll continue to have more and more guests on the program as well. And I'm joined by Blade Tidwell of the University of Tennessee, a man who throws a baseball much faster than I throw a baseball. Blade, uh, welcome, man. Appreciate you swinging by and joining us. Thank you for having me. So I've got to ask this. I, I'm a, a Tennessee grad also. Never been that big into college baseball. But one thing about Tennessee athletics is when you start to have some success, you see the support. Regardless of sport, regardless of interest going into it, Tennessee's they've got some baseball tradition in their past, but not a lot recently. You get there with Tony Vitello, and you guys really take off. So – what was it like being on board that rocket ship this year in your, in your freshman year uh, because of COVID the year before? What was it like? It was crazy. Um, to open up the year, there were a lot of COVID restrictions, so the atmosphere wasn't like crazy, crazy. But then once the season got going and the restrictions started getting lifted slowly and slowly, uh, people started coming and we kept winning. And we won some big games like the Saturday against Arkansas off a of walk-off. That really got the crowds excited. So whenever we went into the postseason, we sold out instantly when we started selling our tickets, and it was just electric. You know, it's amazing to watch because uh, so often, you know, you get a chance where uh, because of COVID restrictions, you know, you were playing in front of no one, virtually no one throughout the year. Then by spring and summer, you guys are the story in Knoxville, and you've got these huge crowds, and you delivered in front of those huge crowds. That doesn't often happen. I think Tennessee fans are probably giving me a big amen right now that that hasn't happened a lot with Tennessee athletics in recent years, but the ability to play in front of those crowds and deliver, uh, to me, is a reflection of your coach also and sort of the swagger behind the program. Did you guys feel that and get that sense going into it? We definitely did, and uh, a lot of being able to perform under the big moment is uh, we have like a very hard fall that we go through each year, and I know that helped me as far as my mental side. I know the big crowd can hurt a lot of people's game or it can help a lot of people's game, and I think that the fall that we go through 
and just the confidence that our coaches have in us help us in that moment. Did um, So uh, the, the attitude around this program and other programs talking trash about Tennessee players and, and the coach, does that fuel you guys? It seems like something that you embrace, sort of the uh, underdog villain role going into series. Some of us turn off our Twitter notifications and stuff <laughs> like that, and then I don't. Uh, I know Gilbert <laughs> probably doesn't either. Uh, Gilbert likes it. It fires him up whenever the crowd's mad at him. So, like that walk-off he hit against Wright State, that got him famous, basically. Yeah. You, you like to feed the, the monsters, what you're saying. You want to read the notifications. I you do. want to read what people are saying. I do. I love that. Uh, Blade Tidwell, our guest on, on OutKick 360. Um, take us through your progression before you got Tennessee. You were, you were sick. I think your junior year it may have stopped some recruitment with you with, with certain schools. You take off your senior year. Uh, you add 10 miles per hour to your fastball. Um, what was that growth like for you? Uh, I got mono the summer of my junior year, and I got down to like 168 pounds, and I was like, I got to get my weight up. So I started working with this guy named Ben Bates in my uh, hometown, and uh, I put on like 40 pounds. And then the next time I picked up the baseball, I was – uh, my first outing back, I threw 96 for the first time, which was like three miles an hour harder than I've ever thrown. And then the next time I went out there and I was throwing 98. So, and I just, it just stuck with me when I gained this weight. Was it immediate? You know, you get stronger, you gain weight, and the first time you throw a baseball, you're throwing it faster? Or did it take time to build up to that? I didn't get clocked uh, until about two months after I started throwing again, but I could, I could tell that I was throwing harder. Um, I want to ask you more about uh, the Tennessee baseball program and the growth. Uh, you know, your, your coach getting locked up uh, to a longer contract. There's going to be some advancements with the, the stadium, with the program, with everything else going on around it. How cool has it been to witness the investment into Tennessee baseball? It's been super cool. It makes uh, me and I think my teammates, I can speak for them, that it makes us feel like we're actually doing something, you know, for the university. I know a lot of the fans for Tennessee – uh, haven't had a good go around the last few years. So it's nice to like see that we're helping change the culture. You know, name image likeness is something that's uh, really good for the student athlete. No, no one denies that. It also at times I think kind of blurs the line between college and professional athletes with athletes who have a chance to make some money playing professionally. You certainly are a pitcher that one day will make some money playing professionally. Uh, when do you know I mean, I'm not saying that you think that you've arrived or anything like that, but when do you know pitching in college in the SEC and the best conference in, in all of baseball that, hey, this is something that I could do for a long time if I continue to develop? I think I've always thought that for myself, but I just now realize like, that it's here right now this year. It took me a little bit this season. I got off to a slower start than I would have liked, but after a few good outings in a row, I got that confidence and realized that, I'm here. So you played at a 1A school in Loretto uh, with Ryan Weathers, who now is a, a star for the San Diego Padres. Of course, his dad, David Weathers, great Major League Baseball pitcher. Uh, I saw that and I thought to myself, by the way, you batted like 556 as a hitter <laughs> in high school also. I see this roster of uh, Major League star right now and probable future Major League star, and I think to myself, how did you guys ever lose a game? So I guess I'll ask you, how, how did you ever lose one game in high school? Uh, I guess it's just baseball. I don't really know how he <laughs> lost myself. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. I, I love the uh, love the attitude for sure. Um, Blade, thanks so much for swinging by, man. This this has been a lot of fun. What are your plans now 
rest of the summer as I know you get ready to head back to Knoxville? I'm just going to lift, and then when I get back, start throwing again. So that, that's pretty much all I'm up to. Well, hey, best of luck. Uh, you captivated a lot of the state um, this past uh, run to the College World Series. And I'm sure the goal now is uh, to make it a regular appearance in Omaha yes, after getting a chance to experience a little bit of this past season. Yes, sir. Thanks for so sure. much. Appreciate Thank it. You. Blade Thank Tidwell, a future Major League star, uh, has been our guest. When we come back, uh, future UFC star, Paul Koharski, who is uh, prepared to fight every media member at Titans training camp, we'll ask him about that. That's next. This is Outkick 360. Outkick 360 and our daily Titans training camp report with Paul Koharski is straight ahead. And a, a lot of news to get to from uh, actually sections of the offense that were good today. Uh, we'll get to some kick returners, uh, A.J. Brown uh, wearing a sleeve on the leg. We'll get Paul's take on all that in a moment. But all of you on social media tweeting us, asking if we were going to discuss A.J. Brown's tweet to Paul last night. We, we led the show with it today. We're leading off the Titans training camp report with P.K. right now discussing it. And we'll set it up for everyone. So yesterday, here's the video of what Paul tweeted out, where he said that Josh Reynolds was not looking all that explosive. And I'm paraphrasing there, but, but not by much. And this led into a discussion we had yesterday in the, po in, in the post-practice report where Reynolds said that the Titans had seen the best version of Josh Reynolds. Um, and we discussed if that's the case to this point in camp, if he's referencing camp, is that necessarily a good sign? We all agree that's not a good sign. Uh, Paul tweeted out this video prior to that. And A.J. Brown last night took exception to it. He's one of the leaders. He's an alpha of the wide receiver room. And he retweeted Paul's video with what you see on your screen. I'm going to say this as nice as I can. Nobody asks for your effing opinion. He's probably working through something like everyone else is in camp. I'll probably get in trouble for this, but I don't even care. Need to learn some respect fast. Uh, now, A.J. has since deleted that tweet. Uh, no reports on if he got in trouble for it or not, but he deleted the tweet. And Chad and I gave our reaction to it earlier in the show, which you can find on the podcast, and we'll give some reaction with PK now as we go live to Titans training camp. And we, we are joined by PK in the sunglasses and the hat today from St. Thomas Sports Park. Paul, your, your thoughts, your reaction to A.J. Brown? I, I mean, I, I'm a little disappointed, but uh, he's, it's a DYB situation. He's defending his boy. I think the volume with which he does it kind of lends credence to the fact that um, there's something going on there. Um, I wish that he looked at the subsequent, subsequent tweet, which is connected to the first tweet that says clearly he's coming back from something here. But here's video of other guys doing the same drill. So you could kind of look for yourself and measure the tempo and the, and the cuts against these other guys. Um, uh, you know, I got no beef with A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown's the alpha on this team. I, I love it. He didn't seem to mind my opinion all the times that I've talked about how great he is. Um, told him that he didn't have to apologize for anything he said from his hospital bed if the Titans were given grief for embarrassing them, for talking about his two knee surgeries. So, uh, you know, it's always funny to me. Guys have a problem with, uh, with certain opinions and never mention uh, other opinions that are put out. Um, but beyond that, I think anybody that looks at that video, and I know there are a lot of uh, Titans people that are just going to automatically go uh, with A.J. Brown. That's a disappointing part of this now. A.J. Brown, you know, to the public 
hates me and the team hates me and they're just going to go along with all of that. But anybody that watches that video uh, can tell that, that uh, it's not particularly good by Josh Reynolds. And Josh Reynolds later that day said that he was pretty much okay. Josh Brown, uh, Josh Reynolds, I asked him, you know, have the Titans seen you, uh, seen full Josh Reynolds, expecting him to say no, you know, and I'm anxious to show, show them full Josh Reynolds. And he said, yes. Um, so, you know, a uh, whole thing that's disconcerting to me, but uh, you know, contrary to what most of Twitter seems to think, I'm not curled up in a ball in my closet uh, world moves on. And uh, I, I don't know if you just showed it there. I mean, Josh Reynolds caught a deep ball today. Josh Reynolds uh, had, had another catch where he crossed the field and went deep. And he doesn't look to be running particularly well. Yeah, we showed me. that, yeah. Um, yeah, and this comes, you know, if you want to bitch at somebody, I'd say, you know, if the Titans were at all forthcoming about his condition, then we could say, well, he's not running particularly well because of X or Y. But they roll him out there to be judged against everybody else, and uh, I don't think it's particularly unfair. Paul, have you had a chance to talk to A.J. Brown since he no, sent that tweet? I, I tried to uh, you know, linger after practice in a way where we could cross paths and I could say, hey, I just wanted to, you know, I, ho I hope you saw the second tweet that clarified that I, I knew he was coming off something. Um, but I, I did not manage to cross paths with him. Do you know why he deleted the tweet? Was he told to delete it? Or do you have any explanation on why he deleted? I have no explanation. I have a presumption that Mike Vrabel would tell him to delete the tweet or John Robinson, but I, I don't know for sure. He said, I'm probably going to get in trouble. I think he probably got in trouble. Well, you mentioned that uh, he, he's not pointing out the, the praise for himself, and I mean, there's nothing to rip A.J. Brown about. I mean, let, uh, and I know that's what you were also saying in, in your sentiment there. Uh, he's also not retweeting and complaining about your comments on the kicking battle or Dylan Radin's not looking up to par uh, to this point or uh, the bad snaps by Daniel Munyer on a, on a routine basis. I nearly said daily, but it hasn't been necessarily a daily basis on a routine basis. Uh, this is about the wide receiver room and the only, the only other player I could, I could think of immediately that he would jump to the defense of would be his quarterback in Ryan Tannehill because he's done that on NFL Network when he's been made available to the NFL Network. So uh, th this is about him and his wide receiver group and he's taking up for his guy because he sees what's going on behind the scenes with Reynolds. Uh, meanwhile, gets on social media and sees what you put out there. And I, I said earlier, Paul, both can be fair you know, you, you can certainly – you certainly should tweet out your thoughts on Titans training camp and certain players. That's why you're out there is, is to give your opinion and your assessment of what you're seeing uh, and the clamoring for, you know, wanting certain coverage over others by, by many of the fan base uh, is, is troubling, quite honestly. I, I would rather want your honest opinion than, than want some, you know, fluff that A.J. Brown is asking you to, 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 to provide. Also, you know, let's uh, – I, I... – I agree with what you're saying. It's a narrow it to the wide receiver room. I have raved virtually every day about Marcus Johnson, who was very good again today. I have raved about Chester Rogers. He didn't seem to mind my opinion uh, on those. So I think we could be clear about the opinion. He doesn't like uh, anything negative uh, uh, about um, his guys. And, and look, I, I think Josh Reynolds is a key guy for this group who needs to be good. Um, but right now, he, he doesn't look very good. And I think uh, 
you know, most people, if they weren't getting bashed by A.J. Brown, would look at that video and say something similar. Paul, what does it say about the rest of the media that covers this team that you're the only one, seemingly, that anyone ever has a problem with in the Titans organization or the players? And also, what does it say that certain media members are afraid or told not to even say your name when talking about a tweet and a video that you posted? Well, I, I confronted Braden Gall about it today. I mean, Braden Gall uh, does a podcast in town where he and Steve Cavendish are, you know, the paradigms of journalistic integrity and lay out how journalism works in Nashville. But then Braden Gall, who desperately would like to have a job on 104.5 The Zone, our former employer, um, goes on that show and doesn't execute the very virtues that he um, pr- praises and preaches on, on his um, podcast uh, because he can't mention my name on their airways or he would hurt his chances of getting a job there, which, by the way, he's not going to get a job there. But, um, you know, it's hypocritical. Uh, it's obvious what happens there. I, I don't know why at the zone, like well, something happens at the zone big or somebody breaks something over there. We would mention person's you're, name. You're, you're I, saying I, their I, name I, right I, now. In fact, I, I mean, think you're... I'm saying, I'm saying their name yeah. right now, but for him to go on there and call me the reporter. And then out here, he's telling me, well, you're not the story. The story is about um, if fans want the, you know, honest media or if they want team fluff. And I, oh, yeah, there's no reason you would mention my name in a conversation about that in Nashville, Tennessee with the Titans. I, I could see why you wouldn't mention my name at all on that. But I, look, in the big picture, I don't really care. We know how this works. We know what the zone's doing. They can't bear to mention our names um, after the way things uh, ended there and their foolishness in letting us depart. Um and, and Braden is serving two different masters, but he loses credibility at the one when he uh, does whatever the second one tells him to do. And I hope he's listening to this. I'd love for him to replay it on his 440 show where he tells everybody exactly how journalism should work. Paul, do you, re- do you regret not putting the full context on the video as you tweeted it out? Uh, yeah, in hindsight, it would have been better if I put more context on there. But, uh, you know, you're tweeting on the fly at practice. Um, so, I mean, I tweeted on top of the tweet. I think it's hard not to see the second tweet if you're looking at the first tweet. But sure, yeah, I mean, right. uh, I, I seek to be as clear as possible. And so I, I wasn't as clear as possible on the first one. Though I, I don't suspect it would have mattered to A.J. Brown, though I, I, don't, I don't know. I, to me, look. I do not want to be the story contrary to what people think. That tweet is not worthy of me being a story. It's not. And me asking Rashad Weaver about his criminal case is not worthy of me being a story. I have occasionally botched some things that have turned me into a part of the story. And each time that has happened, I've felt uh, badly about it and tried to, uh, to, to steer things back into the proper lane. But the, these two things, nothing has happened outside of journalism unfolding. Correct. And, and, and you don't want to be the story, but you have to ask the questions that are worthy of being the story. Like that, that, there, that's, therein lies what you're doing. Um, and, and you've tweet, I mean, I don't know how many hundreds or uh, thousand videos at this point of, of random routes and routines at practice uh, AJ picked up on that because it was his guy. 
Josh Reynolds. It wasn't Josh Reynolds replying to Paul. It was the guy who produces on a routine basis at practice that no one can pick apart at, uh, at, at Titans practice. Uh, maybe, maybe some fans knew that Reynolds had missed some time. Maybe not. And, and there, therein lies the context of the actual tweet. Uh, but to say he didn't look explosive is also accurate. Um, and there, again, I, I go back to what I said at the beginning of the show. Both can be right in, in respect to A.J. taking up for his guy and Paul tweeting out that he didn't look explosive. And that, he, to be fair, Paul, you tweeted that out before you talked to him, where he even yes. said that he, I mean, he alluded to the fact that he was fine. Also, I, I, he repeatedly has not looked explosive. I did not look at that one thing and say, oh, look at this one moment he's not explosive. I think we'd had conversations the day before, Jonathan, and maybe the day before, or you had asked me for an assessment of Josh Reynolds early in camp. I didn't have one. Then I started seeing more. And then we had a conversation a little bit about how he does not look like a, a, a particularly explosive guy. Nate Washington, by the way, a friend of the show and a, a receiver, one of the more successful receivers the Titans have had, kind of commented on it in a way like I can see how you're interpreting it that way. I don't think that's going to be the bigger part of his game, but I like Chester Rogers better than him. Um, Chris Sanders, who I don't view as somebody with much authority on the Titans, um, thinks he's not going to make the roster. Where, where is the uproar over that? Chris Sanders thinks that Josh Reynolds doesn't belong off the roster. I mean, you want a controversial uh, assessment. Where's the bashing of, of Chris Sanders? <laughs> Um, so, uh, again, also though, that was a symbolic video for what I've seen out here. Most right. of which you can't right. tape and share. So, you know, people are allowed to imply context as well. I didn't offer enough there, but you're also allowed to imply, like I've been at every training camp practice out here and I'm not judging, uh, Josh Reynolds off one snippet that I shared with you. Here's an illustration of Josh Reynolds. And I don't find him to be, uh, he hasn't looked explosive. Well, uh, also coming back from injury, Taylor Lewan, and he was bragging about the offense today, at least somewhat. <clears throat> Taylor Lewan, uh, they were actually on this field today, and he came off just behind me. Um, behind the camera here is the new building, and there's kind of a, a ledge. A lot of us take advantage and stand on this ledge to get some height. And he spotted Jim Wyatt on the, a set of steps down there, and he kind of was holding uh, a phone, pretend phone, and he told Jim Wyatt what to tweet. You know, he said, Titans offense finally kicking the defense's butt. Uh, you know, get that get that out there. And, and they had a very good period or two over here. Later on, when they were on the middle field, um, over, over where families who were in today could get a closer view, the defense rebounded pretty nicely. Um, but, yeah, it was some very good work over here, move the ball, uh, I'm not sure if it was two minute or not. It had a, a, a two minute feel to it. Crisp, a lot of, lot of good plays. Um, Marcus Johnson, again, uh, at, at the head of a lot of that. Marcus Johnson, Chester Rogers continuing to work very high um, with the offense. And uh, I, I expect that we're going to see a lot of them in Atlanta on Monday night, whether it's Ryan Tannehill or Logan Woodside throwing to them. Paul, uh, some other headlines from practice, kick returners. What, what have you noticed there recently? Uh, I know Darrington Evans is listed on the unofficial depth chart in, in that category. Who else? It's the first real work that they did. Uh, Evans, Chester Rogers, and Jeremy McNichols were, uh, were the three guys there. McNichols uh, only some. 
I mean, I think Evans makes a lot of sense. Uh, Rogers, if he's got the punt return job and it's not much in the in the wide receiver rotation, would make a lot of sense. I'm not that uh, excited about kick return. They're very uh, – it's less and less, right? People kick a lot of touchbacks. To me, it starts with your kick returner not being so bad that teams kick short to get him to bring it out so they could tackle you short of the, of the 25. Um, so your guys got to assuredly make it to the, to the 25. I think both of those guys should be able to do that. Um, and uh, one thing I wanted to say about the field goal kicking that we didn't get to yesterday, Vrabel talked about being eager to get uh, both Ficken and McCann chances in the preseason. Uh, I was just thinking about how out of your control that could be, um, especially to get distance. And I wanted to pitch this idea to you guys. Uh, Take some penalties on some extra points if you need to, right? It's a 33-yard kick, um, delay of game, uh, offsides, what, whatever you need to do, and you can push that back five yards at a time and get yourself some some long extra points that would amount to, to field goal opportunities if you really need them. Yeah, I, I would I would start, and I, I think you'll get a kick out of this, I would start with just hitting an extra point uh, and oh, see yeah. if they can handle that pressure. No, but if you need longer field goals and you're not finding the opportunities yeah. um, and you're scoring touchdowns, in fact, that, that's a way to create some situations. Uh, I wonder if they do that. I would. Coming up, we're going to discuss the nickel position defensively. The depth chart lists two corners um, and doesn't list the three-cornerback nickel package. We, we will discuss uh, who we think is in that position right now, who we think they hope eventually is in that position for the nickel cornerback job. We'll discuss that. Plus, the, the issue with Josh Reynolds, the overall injury issues, while I think we're looking at it like, okay, it's August the 10th, there's three preseason games, just get to September the 12th, there is an underlying storyline to follow about some of the issues that start on September the 12th that this roster is nowhere prepared for currently. That's all straight ahead on Outkick 360. Time to make it rain. The daily parlay from Outkick360FanDuel.com slash OK360. And it's on Jacob Swanson today. And act fast because we have an afternoon game. He loves Milwaukee. He loves Wisconsin. And he goes with the Brewers today in his same game parlay with FanDuel.com. Draw in the first inning. Freddie Peralta under eight and a half strikeouts for this game. The Brewers' money line, this is, but keep in mind, this is a doubleheader. This is a seven inning game one. Under eight and a half strikeouts, drawing the first inning. Brewers' money line and over seven total runs as the Brewers take on the Cubs. That game is first pitch at 121 Central, which is in roughly 30 minutes or so. So jump on that Got quickly. Got that quick. Got that quick on that We're one. doing that now. Uh, Jacob just peered around the corner of the computer, meaning he just realized that that, day, that game begins in 30 minutes. That's exactly what that look uh, meant. We go back to <laughs> go back to Titans trading camp uh, with Paul Koharski. Paul, give us an update on A.J. Brown. He's wearing a sleeve on his leg, it appears. Red sleeve, can't miss it. Uh, you couldn't tell anything was wrong with him, really. He, ha he had a reception late practice where uh, he went to the ground, to the sideline. Also looked like maybe he jammed his 
left wrist or hand. Uh, I wonder if those are reasons that he wasn't out late uh, on the jugs and stuff like that, which he typically is, uh, and which might have been why I wasn't able to cross paths with him. Um, so just things to keep an eye on. But, um, you know, indications. Todd Downing said I have absolutely no concerns about A.J. Brown. Um in the robotic Todd Downing um, way. So um, I, I think everything's all right there, unless something new happened with that wrist or a, a finger or something with the top of his hand, um, which could be new. He was crouched over for a little while there, but he continued to practice after that, which is always a good sign. So there, there's a lot of debate going on right now, media, fans, otherwise, about the nickel position. We, we know the Titans and, and many teams nowadays love the spot. They, they love that inside corner. Um, and I couldn't tell if you were sending me a topic or my suggestion on this earlier, but you were asking me, who's the starting nickel right now? Um, based on just feedback, it's Chris Jackson, isn't it? It is. Real quick on A.J. Brown, he was spending time yeah, yeah, yeah. with his daughter. It was a family day today, so uh, he spent okay. time with his daughter Good. after after practice. So uh, nothing there injury-related in terms of him going off early or anything like that. Chris Jackson is a starting nickel right now. Behind him is Elijah Molden, uh, the draft pick that we all like. Though I didn't see him out there today, um, so he may have had a day off or might be dinged. Um, here's the thing, though. We all kind of presume Caleb Farley uh, works his way up to speed, and he's working in team periods now, um, that he uh, that Fulton would kick inside and, and get a look there. He's worked at, he hasn't worked at nickel at all in this camp, so, and we know he, he doesn't have great experience at nickel so far. Last year, he only played in a handful of games. He was inside and outside. Um, and so I, I asked uh, Downing about that today, and he kind of said, um, hey, we're going to kind of take up to Tampa Bay and see where everything stands with everybody back healthy and then decide what to do. Um, a follow-up question was about, you know, do you want a lot of these guys to be double threats? And he said it's a case-by-case -case basis for a guy uh, about whether he can uh, – can handle both and whether we want to ask guys to handle both. So I think there's still a decision to be made there on, on Christian Fulton, who would seem to be talent wise, make a lot of sense to have inside if Farley's a go. And if Farley and, um, and Jack rabbit Jenkins are going to be the two outside guys, I, I, I would think you'd want K, uh, uh, Christian Fulton available to play as your third guy, but I'm not so sure it's a foregone conclusion right now. Um, Chris, Chris Jackson, they're really talking up. They like, it's made a lot of progress. And uh, Elijah Molden, we know, is really a slot and not an outside guy. So much to be determined in the next couple of weeks at that spot. And uh, if Fulton's going to get in there, um, you know, it might be two weeks before he's worked in there, and then he's going to need to get up to snuff pretty quickly. See, I really like Molden, and you guys know I've liked him whenever the, the yeah. pre-draft. Uh, I, I think it, there's a nuance to the position that we learned through Logan Ryan that, that he would teach us on his player show that, that a rookie's just not going to have. But the skill set is there that just screams Elijah Molden in the slot um, early on in, in the season. I'm not saying he's the starter and Chris Jackson is unseated in that spot. Um, I, I think ultimately – 
they would love to have Fulton inside, Farley on the outside, Oppison, uh, Jenkins. But that's, as we discussed yesterday, that's likely to be a slower progression than what many assume just because Farley is out on the practice field and what we've seen so far from Fulton. Uh, but I think that's the three they want on the field. Can they work molded in quicker than, than maybe what Jackson could provide to this point in early September, which, you know, it remains to be seen. Both are going to get a ton of work in the preseason, and, and that's some of the intrigue of these preseason games, just seeing these young guys and, and what they can provide early on. And, and that's where I want to transition to as we wrap up the hour, Paul. Well, hold on one second yeah. there. When, when, they, when they talked about getting more vertical in that spot at the end of the Logan Ryan era, mm-hmm. Um, you know, the solution and, and what they drafted was Christian Fulton. So, uh, and he's fast. We know right. that. Molden, right. and Molden is faster than, um, than Chris Jackson. Chris Jackson doesn't solve the speed issue out of the slot. And I've pictured for a long time a Fulton-Molden combination where you go big and small because I think Molden's good in there against a certain type of guy, maybe even Ty, Ty Hill in time. But, uh, you know, if Travis Kelsey's lining up in there, uh, you know, I, I don't know that you want Molden uh, to be the guy. So and, and this deserves further unpacking. I'm just – this is a prelude to something we can get to in a further Tennessee Power Hour. But – all of this discussion just – and I, I'm not saying everyone's doing this, but the sweeping under the rug of some of these nagging injuries on August the 8th, 9th, and 10th. Keep in mind that on September the 12th, they begin a five-game stretch where this team has to start fast. They are starting against the Arizona Cardinals at home. They then travel to Seattle. They will play the Indianapolis Colts, which is a very winnable game on paper right now. They take on the Jets and the Jaguars. Those are their first five games. This Tennessee Titans team must come out of the gates swinging and hitting on all cylinders. And I, I emphasized this throughout the offseason in a previous show, in a previous power hour, where I dissected the first, start of the, the first month of the season and how Henry really didn't hit his stride until the second quarter of the season. But it was A.J. Brown, it was Jonu Smith, along with Ryan Tannehill, that produced a lot of numbers and produced points on the scoreboard. This offensive line is extremely banged up depth-wise. This is a defense that is relying on an improved pass rush. They have Dupree to what extent is yet to be really determined a month from now. Same goes with their first-round draft pick in Farley. We can go to the second round where Dylan Radins right now is the backup right guard. Look, Josh Reynolds is banged up and hobbled if you want to go that far. This is a team right now that is not ready for a fast start, and it is imperative if they're going to build on what they were last year based on the middle part of the stretch season where they're winnable games because they're a very good team, but so are the Chiefs and the Rams and the Saints and the Patriots. I'm going through this stretch run of back-to-back-to-back games that's not going to be some walk in the park and neither will the first five. But this team started 5-0 and last year, and it was a big reason why they ended up winning the division. They have to get off to that same strong start this year. And right now, I don't think they're prepared for it health-wise because a lot of these guys, while they're not out for an extended period of time, they're being held back because they have to be ready to go September 12th. And I think they'd love to be getting more work with some of these vets than what they're actually getting right now, Paul. Yeah, no, I think you raise a lot of good points there, and and you can use different uh, different extremes. You know, Jeff Jeff Swain, we haven't seen good example, and um, uh, uh, you know, and we have no idea the extent of his injury. Now, 
Jeff Swain plays a position where you could probably drop him in the first week for practice, game planning, and and game one, and be fine. Bud Dupree, if he's not, you know, worked really substantially and and developed some kind of, he talked about the chemistry with Harold Landry across the way and getting in sync with that guy and with the defensive line, you know, and he's uh, can he take a full uh, full serving of snaps? That's a different deal. Derrick Henry, you know, presumably you could drop right in, but again, you're saying he didn't get off to the greatest start last year. Um, and Julio Jones, you know, where's his chemistry with Ryan Tannehill? You know, uh, we get tired of asking Mike Vrabel the questions about the injuries. He's successfully kind of gotten rid of that. But, you know, it's not an insignificant deal that Julio Jones didn't make it out of his first day of working in a team period. And all we've seen since then is him on a bike. You know, now if he comes out tomorrow, everything's forgotten. But if it's another 10 days, two weeks, it's a lot of missed time, even in the limited action that he's going to do that's valuable in terms of building chemistry and getting on the same page, as opposed to us saying against Arizona, oh, there's a pick six going the other way because he and Ryan Tannehill weren't, uh, weren't on the same page. And those are things you don't want to see and that they might not be able to sustain. Paul, it was rapid fire today. Uh, we, we appreciate the time, and uh, you'll be in studio tomorrow, I believe, right? The brand-new studio here at tomorrow, 60 Peabody. Tomorrow and the rest of the week. Looking forward Sweet. to it. Great appreciate job, it. Chief. See you tomorrow, Chief. Thanks, boys. Uh, 6th and Peabody, the new Diggs uh, partnership with Yeehaw Brewing and Old Smoky Distillery, Old Smoky Moonshine. Uh, Chad, we, we didn't do the cheers yesterday. We can, we can meet right outside here with the, uh, with the public. And do a toast. I want to cheer some of that watermelon moonshine that I've had my eye on this entire show because I'm looking right into the gift shop right next to our studio here at Old Smoky Yeehaw. I'm going right for that, Hutton. Uh, cheers to Lance Lee and Jacob Swanson uh, for making the show happen today. Becca Risley, Sleepy Danny, David Reed, the chairman of the board, Dylan Taylor, great production assistant, and to you. Thank you for joining us on Outkick 360. Back at it tomorrow, noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central across the Outkick Network. Hey, it's Jonathan Hutton. Thanks for listening to Outkick 360. Be sure to subscribe to the show to have the latest podcast delivered to you each and every day. And give us five stars. It helps us grow our network and provide you with more great podcasts like this one.